Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Something you can do while you're listening to the show today is go to WDET.org. Fill out our editorial election survey. It is an election year here in the state of Michigan. Lots of things on the ballot, including governor, attorney general, secretary of state, and a slew of local questions around Michigan. And our coverage of those things should be informed by you, the listeners. Go to the survey, fill out a couple of questions, and you'll start to see those things that you think are important reflected in our coverage. A little later in the show today, we're going to have a conversation about Natchez, Mississippi, which is a place that's pretty close to my heart. It's where my family is from. It's where my father is from and uh, most of the people on his side of our family. We're going to talk with an author who has recounted the story of a 1932 murder in Natchez, Mississippi, and the way it sort of folds into the narrative about race and inequality in the South. Natchez, of course, is not just important to me. It is a place that has great historical significance in terms of race and slavery. Uh, Also, Jim Crow and all of the things that are related to those issues in our history. We're going to have a really interesting conversation, I think, with Karen Cox, who is a history professor from University of North Carolina. She's written that book. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. It'll get started at about half past the hour. But up front, President Donald Trump has signaled he wants to do something really astounding as an American president. Meet directly with the ruling leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Kim has suggested his country would be willing to denuclearize under the right conditions and after a meeting with President Trump. This is such a startling turn of events for the past few months, let alone nearly 80 years of icy and hostile relations between the countries. It wasn't so long ago that Kim and Trump were exchanging public childish barbs about age and weight. And now the two men appear to be negotiating a relatively pleasant sit-down together. So what's the angle here? Trump is notorious for wanting to be viewed as the ultimate deal maker, but his dwindling cadre of skilled advisors really hobbles him in any negotiation that would involve national security, let alone national security's issues at that at that level. Think about North Korea and the really, really tense relations that we have had with that country uh, without good people around him. What do you imagine that President Trump might extract from those talks? And even more, what does Kim want? Having reportedly killed multiple family members who have crossed him, can we assume his intentions are anything other than self-serving here? That's where we want to start the show and the conversation today with North Korea and President Trump's planned talks with Kim Jong-un. Of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the idea of Trump sitting down with Kim Jong-un? What do you think we will get out of that? Will this advance our interests or could it damage them? As always, on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about this is Thomas Wright. He is the director of the Center on the United States and Europe and a senior fellow in the Project on International Order and Strategy at the Brookings Institution. He recently wrote an article titled 
the biggest danger of North Korea talks. It appeared in The Atlantic magazine. Thomas Wright, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the, the the context here, which I think is everything. Uh, in, in absolute terms, I think you'd want the leader of the most powerful nation on the planet to be able to sit down and talk with just about anyone. Uh, but uh, given the personalities involved here, given the history involved here, I don't think I'm alone in being really apprehensive about this and sort of scratching my head thinking, is this even a remotely good idea? Uh, And I think ultimately the question is, will this do more damage to our position with North Korea than it will do make it better? In other words, are we is President Trump setting us up for a setback? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's important, I think, just to realize how unusual um, this uh, turn of events uh, is. Normally, when leaders will meet, um, there will have been months and months of preceding discussions uh, between mid-level and senior-level diplomats to find out exactly what each side wants, uh, what the plan is. And so when the two leaders meet, um, it's not quite a fait accompli, but it's sort of, you know, closing the deal. Um, but in this case, uh, it's completely backwards. Um, there's been no uh, interaction between, really, between the U.S. and North Korea. In fact, the U.S. envoy for dialogue with North Korea uh, left the State Department a few weeks ago, and particularly sort of poor timing. And so there's no, uh, there has been no interaction. And President Trump really just accepted this on the fly. He wasn't even meant to be meeting with the South Korean delegation that was over. He just popped into the meeting. They mentioned this to him. This, by the way, was not an official request from North Korea. This is what South Korea has said, Kim Jong-un told them. So it's a reported offer. Um, And I I think President Trump believed that it was a breakthrough because he heard that Kim Jong-un said he was willing to discuss denuclearization. But this is something he said many times before, which is basically... You know, if the U.S. leaves Korea and if a whole series of things are put into place, then maybe at some point in the future, North Korea would denuclearize. So that is that's not particularly new. So now we have them meeting within a month or two months, uh, maybe three months at most, um, you know, to to do a deal and with no preparation. And I think there's a real risk um, of mismatched expectations and and also a risk uh, that President Trump could because he wants to go big, strike a deal, but it could be the worst type of deal um, uh, with, with very little advice from the State Department or the Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, when I said in the open that President Trump has a dwindling condor of skilled advisors around him, I, that, that might have been an understatement. Uh, give us a sense of who the people are who are left uh, in his immediate circle who could help inform this kind of process and meeting and and why, for instance, those people are unable to sort of slow this down and say, this this may well be a good idea, but it's not a good idea under the sort of hurried terms that, that this has come about. Yeah, well, just to, to your second point first there, I mean, the way this happened was that he heard about this directly from the South Korean delegation, and then he informed everyone. He demanded that he was that they would immediately announce that he had accepted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it wasn't even discussed 
with his cabinet or with his national security team. There was no meeting in the Situation Room to say, what do we think of this? Nobody had discussed it in advance. Uh, he just heard, oh, Kim Jong-un wants to meet you, and he said, let's do it, let's announce it right now, we'll do it by the end of May. So that's just unprecedented. I mean, uh, you know, whatever one thinks about whether the meeting should take place, I think everyone would agree that he should talk about it to his advisors in advance. Um, but this is a, a recent pattern with President Trump where he's he's really tired, I think, of, of all of the discussions and dialogues uh, in the bureaucracy, and he's increasingly just telling people what he wants to do right from the outset. Um, in terms of people, uh, he, you know, he has uh, obviously, you know, Secretary Mattis, uh, Tillerson, and others still with him, um, but the real sort of concern is that he lacks sort of expertise in North Korea. He was meant to name an ambassador uh, to South Korea, which is a crucial post. There was a very respected uh, um, expert and former senior official, Victor Cha, sort of named for that. And then uh, there was a big media a story that that uh, Cha had pulled out or had been had been put aside by the White House because he didn't agree with some of the more hawkish advisors about the use of force against North Korea. And so that, I think, really worried a lot of people. And then, um, as I mentioned a moment ago, one of the top officials on, on Korea in the State Department announced an early retirement, um, so supposedly because of his frustration with the process. So um, they're going into this negotiation uh, really lacking you know, any, uh, uh, you know, real sort of career expertise, um, or certainly to the extent that they should have it uh, in the administration with no ambassador, with no envoy. And that's why some people have suggested that they immediately name an envoy and begin to sort of strengthen their their team. But all of this, of course, is, is dependent on President Trump actually listening to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. So you can have you know, the best people in the world. Um, but unless they're actually designing the process in, you know, collaboration with the president and it's all one coordinated effort, then the risk is that he'll just go into the meeting um, really not really having read many of the briefs and just and just sort of make up the deal he wants to strike. And that, you know, that, that makes him particularly mm-hmm. prone to, you know, to, to suggestion or just to the spur of the moment. And, and this is such a delicate, negotiation, you know, that that it's important. That's, that's not, not the case, because, of course, the risk is if he didn't strike a deal and it broke down, then he could just say, well, I've tried diplomacy, that doesn't work now, we just need to go to a military option. Yeah. So all of this, I think, is, is, is pretty haphazard, and, you know, diplomacy is always a good thing, talking is a good thing, um, but I think the circumstances of this are giving, are giving a lot of people reason for concern. Yeah. Uh, I- what about the upsides here, the potential upsides? I mean, uh, Donald Trump is someone who thinks of himself as a great deal maker. Uh, he's somebody whose other uh, other actions, I think, often inform the way that he plans to negotiate. In other words, he says things that he probably doesn't mean. Uh, he makes gestures uh, toward extremes, I think, as a way to 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 rattle the other side. Uh, he's done that here. And I think if he had the opportunity, he would say this is exactly what he thought would happen, that that if you talk strong and take a tough position with a leader like Kim Jong-un, then uh, eventually he will he will cave and, and come to the table. Is, is there any possibility that that's 
that that's valid well, and that he's winning the, this? The problem, the problem with that, and, and they have been saying that, that's certainly true. Um, the problem with that is that Kim Jong-un has been looking for direct talks with the American president and his father before him for, for decades. You know, so, um, so it's not a concession by them. They've always wanted this, mm-hmm. and the U.S. has always refused it. So because the U.S. position has been it has to be talks with the allies and there has to be you know, acceptance of denuclearization and, and, and steps towards that and the like. So um, if anything, this is a substantive concession by the United States. You know, so he hasn't been forced to the table by anyone. And then in terms of the denuclearization, nothing they've said is anything they haven't said many times before. So, um, so you know, if he wants to talk to them, that's that's fine, and and uh, and you know, we can say, well, the dialogue is helpful. But the notion that Kim Jong Un has backed down here, um, I think, just isn't supported, you know, by the historical uh, record. Um, then the question is, like, what does President Trump actually want out of the negotiation? You know, because there's really no, I mean, no one, no one. Uh, who works in this issue believes that Kim Jong-un is going to uh, agree to denuclearize in exchange for some sanctions relief with the sanctions that are put in place yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe he, he will, but there's zero evidence that, um, that that's his inclination. And in fact, you know, he, he at best is probably willing to negotiate some sort of freeze in exchange for economic assistance, which is the flawed deal that have occurred in the past. Um, or he would be willing to actually dismantle his ICBMs in exchange for the full withdrawal of American troops from Korea, which would be a massive concession, effective appeasement of, of the North Korean regime, because that's what they both wanted too. So I think the question is, what does, you know, what are these talks about? What's being negotiated? What's on the table? Um, and and we still have no real idea of what the administration thinks that is going to look like. Yeah, uh, this is Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. <clears throat> I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Thomas Wright. He's the director of the Center on the United States and Europe, and a senior fellow in the Project on International Order and Strategy at the Brookings Institution. He recently wrote an article titled "The Biggest Danger of North Korea Talks." It appeared. In the Atlantic magazine, we're talking about the planned talks between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. No American president has ever sat down with the leader of North Korea. They have been seeking that for some time. No North Koreans have. Donald Trump says he'll do it and that he will win an agreement on denuclearization of the Korean peninsula. Uh, What do you think about the idea of President Trump uh, taking this step, taking this step forward or maybe backward in diplomatic relations with North Korea? Do you think he can win the things that he says he can win? Or is he sort of unwittingly making the situation worse? If you want to join the conversation, as always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Elizabeth on Facebook says, two unhinged, egotistical leaders, each trying to score publicity points. What could go wrong? Pass the popcorn and the Pepto for this. Uh, A listener, another listener on Twitter says, I wouldn't trust Trump to negotiate my Comcast bill. 
So forgive my basement expectations for his involvement with North Korea denuclearization. Uh, John on Twitter says, I'm confident about these talks. Uh, Rocket Man's coming to POTUS with hat in hand, begging to stave off annihilation. A really interesting round of comments there on Twitter. And again, you can go to Facebook or Twitter, uh, put comments there, we'll work you in. And you can always join us on the phones, 313-577-1019. Let's go to Bashar in Oak Park. Bashar, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hi, how are Um, you? Yes, my comment is that um, as somebody who volunteered for the Bernie campaign, who ended up voting for Hillary, somebody who does not approve of Trump in any way, um, I'm all for these talks as long as Trump is not actually leading the conversation, as long as the Joint Chiefs are involved, as long as somebody can make him feel like he's leading it. But in reality, um, the Joint Chiefs and people who have foreign policy experience, people who understand, excuse me, understand what's at stake, mm-hmm. can lead the conversation. Hmm. So yeah. that's my comment, and I don't care if Trump takes all the credit for it. I think it's better than, than having a nuclear war. Yeah. Uh, Bashar, thanks very much for the, the call and the comments. Uh, Thomas Wright, uh, address that issue. With any president, it's not just that that person is sitting there talking with, uh, with, with someone else. It is that there is this community that, that survives, you know, from each presidency to the next that would inform that. Is there a chance that, uh, that the people around him, the people in the State Department, will be able to, to get him ready enough to extract something, something meaningful here? I think that's the the big question, but I think everything we know is that there's a real risk that that won't happen. You know, I mean, a lot of people are saying, and your caller, I think, had it exactly right, you know, if these talks, if there's proper preparation, um, if there's a serious team involved, if it's structured and focused and and disciplined and all of that, then Mm -hmm. it's a good thing. But you know, what What has happened that would lead us to think that that's a likely outcome? I mean, you know, he, he didn't even discuss the proposal to meet with his team. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he just announced, he just demanded that he would do it. So how do we know that he will um, that he will follow a script or that he will read the briefing documents, that he won't just go in and believe that because of the sheer force of his personality, uh, that he will be able to strike a deal. Mm-hmm. Because what Kim Jong-un will probably say to him is he will probably put on the table, you know, the withdrawal of the end of the alliance with South Korea in exchange for the dismantling of the nuclear missiles, uh, which is a deal even he would almost certainly cheat on because there's no way really of verifying it. And there's a risk that Trump will think that that's a big win, which is something that, you know, North Korea has been angling for for decades. Yes. And the U.S. is always rejected as blackmail and is, is not worth the cost. So, you know, it's not even clear that President Trump knows that. It's not at all clear that he knows that North Korea's language and denuclearization is identical to everything, as I said before. It's nothing new here whatsoever. So I, I agree with the caller that, you know, if, if this is properly structured, it's a good thing. But I, I don't think it will be. And I would much prefer if this sort of started out 
um, as it normally does with, you know, with interactions below the level of the president for months to ascertain exactly what the North Koreans are willing to put on the table and to try to begin to structure some deal and then bring in your big guns, then bring in the vice president and the secretary of defense and the president uh, to try to close out the deal, which is how the diplomatic track, you know, usually functions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, thanks very much for that call, Bashar. Let's go to Edward in Detroit. Edward, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, this is a timely conversation. Um, My worry is the fact that the State Department is very hollow. Not only is there no ambassador in Seoul, uh, and the resident expert on North Korea is, is, as your guest has said, is recently retired, but it's my understanding that, that there's no assistant secretary at the Northeast Asia desk uh, acting as the regional coordinator. It reminds me of the first time Kennedy met Khrushchev, a young, well, comparatively young, mm-hmm. inexperienced president, mm-hmm. meeting a wily old veteran. And most historians say Kennedy was outclassed in that first meeting. Mm-hmm. While Mr. Trump is certainly not as young as Mr. Kennedy was, my fear is that Mr. Uh, that, the, that the leadership in Pyongyang is re- experienced and Mr. Trump is inexperienced and he will be outclassed hmm. by the uh, by the North Korean that's leadership. A, yeah, that's a really I mean that's a really interesting observation Edward uh, and and great historical uh, comparison and context. Thanks very much for for that call. Uh, Thomas Wright, I'll give you a chance to to respond to that. What is the experience level on the North Korean side here? Kim Jong Un is a fairly new leader, uh, but but the people around him, I guess, are the are the question uh, for comparison between between he and Trump here. Yeah, um, it, no, it's a really great point. And I think, you know, we often think of Kim Jong-un as this very erratic, irrational young man who doesn't really quite know what he's doing. Um, but I think your, your caller has it, has it pretty much right. I mean, uh, Kim Jong-un is, I think, somewhat erratic, um, but he has been remarkably sort of ruthless and focused. Mm-hmm in what he's been trying to do. I mean, he does have a strategy. We can disagree with that strategy and think that, you know, and, and I would certainly agree that it has evil intent and he's a terrible person, but he has been quite effective in propelling this sort of ICBM program much faster and further along than people thought. Um, and the other point which you alluded to is that, you know, he has a very experienced team uh, there of of sort of America watchers mm-hmm. who've been who've been pursuing this strategy for some time, and they are very well informed. They read everything uh, that is written over here about them. They have a very they will have a very specific sort of plan in mind when they go into this negotiation. And contrary to President Trump and, and maybe to the wider U.S. national security community, this is all they think about all the time. So this issue for them is pretty much the only issue that they're focused on. So they're very um so so they're so they're very focused on it and very disciplined. And so there's a risk that if, if President Trump goes into this and not having, you know, absorbed all of the briefing documents, not being aware of the history, not really listening to his team, that he actually could be outmaneuvered by this thirty something year old. Because it's not really about the thirty something year old, it's about this regime that is 
uh, you know, that has a very clear uh, goal that is, you know, that is really worrying that they've been ruthlessly pursuing for many years. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to Detroit Today. You know, um, thank you for having me on the air. Uh, I'm wondering if some of these uh, tariffs that uh, Trump has been imposing on the rest of the world are mainly pointed at China and to get China moving with North Korea. You know, I, I, I think that he's a little bit more of a strategist than, than most people give him credit for. I didn't vote for him. I'm more of an independent. But I think that he is possibly saving the world from a nuclear war, and nobody is giving him credit for it. What's been going on for the last 80 years with North Korea has not worked. Trump is trying something different. Applaud the man for doing this. He's possibly saving the world right now. Look what happened with Cuba and Obama. For 50 years or however long it was, nothing changed. So he tried something different, and, Mm -hmm. and the left applauded him for it. I think we need to applaud Trump for this. Yeah, Daniel, I, you know, I think there, there there are a lot of folks who I've heard say similar things that, that uh, you know, this is very much in the character of the president the, and very much in line with the kind of leadership he said he wanted to bring to the White House. This idea of sort of turning things on their heads and, and seeing where they go, um, you know, I... I, I want to believe that that there is some potential good there, um, but I wonder, Thomas Wright, if you could help us understand what the what the real risk is there, and 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 also talk about this this leverage that the president is trying to exercise on China to to deal more with uh, with North Korea and how these talks might fit into that. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean. You know, I, I think that he has been putting leverage, using leverage with China, and he has been getting China to do more. And I think that's been pretty welcome, actually. I don't think the recent tariffs are a part of that because the steel tariffs are targeted more at U.S. allies than at China because China accounts for a very small amount of of sort of the steel. I think it's less than 5% uh, of steel that it uh, that it exports to, to the U.S. But, but the other, but your quarter is right that the other, um, uh, things that he has done have put pressure on China, and he has been considering what's called secondary sanctions. And China has been doing more. Um, the problem, though, is that you know North Korea. I think when we think about you know their economy, we often think that they're sort of on the brink of collapse. But the, the economy is actually doing okay. You know, it's been growing. Um, they have a little bit of pain from these sanctions, but they went through a famine. And, and they actually did collapse in the 1990s and they didn't yield, you know, so they are used to in the very not too distant past mm-hmm. of measures, that le- levels of pain far beyond what they're experiencing at the moment. So there's really, you know, I, and I think this is this is not a criticism of President Trump. It's, it's just very difficult, I think, to impose economic costs on them to the point that they will give up this program because they believe that this program is absolutely vital to their long-term survival and to their long-term ambitions. Yeah. 
And so I think that they will hold on to it no matter what. Yeah. So I think that that's, um, and that I think is a problem that any administration would have, including, including this one. On the point on, on it's worth trying something new. I mean, I fully understand that. And I think, you know, diplomacy is a good thing. And so whenever we hear that we've gone from the insulting and, you know, and military track to a, to a diplomatic track, that the initial instinct is to, uh, is to support that. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, if the diplomacy breaks down, it could go back to the military track extremely quickly. And this diplomat, this diplomacy is set up to fail, essentially, that the, there's very little reason to think that it will work. Um, and even if a deal is struck, uh, the deal will probably be so bad um, that it could be so bad that it will be kind of productive and could then break down, uh, leading to a conflict. So uh, I think that the alternative is not military option. I think military option is, is absolutely horrific and is the worst case scenario and should be avoided under all circumstances because of what it would mean for the region. Um, but I, I do think that the alternative is a, is a better designed, you know, uh, diplomatic initiative uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, that starts in the right way and that we, we can't really sort of just trust this to, to the president just to walk into a meeting one-on-one, just try to strike a deal. Okay. Thomas Wright, uh, who is the director of the Center on the United States and Europe and a senior fellow in the Project on International Order and Strategy at the Brookings Institution, recently authored an article called The Biggest Danger of North Korea Talks in the Atlantic Magazine. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about Natchez, Mississippi. We're going to talk about race and history and how they all come together in a new book. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today.